0: The Mac Observes Mac Geek App, episode eight hundred seventy, for Monday, May tenth, twenty twenty one.
1: Greetings, folks. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your tips, your questions, your cool stuff found. We answer your questions. We share your tips. We share your cool stuff found. The goal being that each and every one of us, you, me, him, the other people listening, everybody, we all learn at least five new things. Every single time we get together, which is generally once a week. We try to release on Mondays and by golly, I'll, I'll pat ourselves on the back and say that we're pretty good at that. Uh, sponsors for this episode <laughs> include uh bare Bones software with BB edit checkout.com slash M G G skosh industries where coupon code M G G gets you 20% off now through May 23rd. And uh, LadderLife.com slash MGG, which is where you could sign up for life insurance faster than I told you about all this. So we'll talk more in depth about each of them in a little bit. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here
0: in Fairfield, Connecticut,
1: this is John F. Braun. How are we today, Mr. John F. Braun? Good. Good. All right. <laughs> well, then let's do it. Let's uh, we've got some quick tips. So let's let's dive into some quick tips here, shall we?
0: All right. Yes. All right. So uh, Dan got one for us here. Um, And Dan says, I'm not sure if this is a well-known thing or not. I didn't know about it. Um, But I discovered discovered if you're viewing emails within a mailbox on the iPhone, you can press down with two fingers and slide up or down to select multiple mails. This is on my iPhone XR. So I'm not sure if it is the same for all other phones, maybe just post home phones, post home button phones. Um, As is often the case, I discovered this while playing with the phone like a bar of soap and nearly deleting a bunch of emails. (laughs) Um, And yes, so uh, on my wee little iPhone 12 mini um, in mail, it shows an edit menu in the upper right. Um, And it looks like that's this accomplishes the same thing, but uses a gesture versus clicking on that.
1: Yeah. So, so there's, there's two parts to this quick tip, right? Because one is like you said, if you use two fingers and start dragging, it will just like jump you into edit mode and then start the multi-select process. I had no idea about jumping into edit mode that way. That's pretty cool. Uh, The, but once you're in edit mode, either way, you know, you see all the little check marks down the side where you can tap individual messages to select, but To Dan's point, you can also just drag your finger down those check marks and select lots of them all at once. Obviously, if you want to select everything, there is a select all there as well. But if you just want to select multiples, and I do this often, I have you know different folders that mail sort of gets routed into, and I have one for all my newsletters. And so I just kind of go through and it's like, do I want to read that one? Do I want to read? No, 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 no. Oh, yep, I want to read that one. Okay, delete. You know, delete the others, and then keep going with the selection. So, yeah, that's pretty good. I had no idea that the two fingers get you in there. It's good. It's good. It's good. I like it. Uh, all right. Patrick brings us to our next quick tip here. This one is fascinating. He, um, he points out that when you, if you have a Mac, well, I guess this would happen on any Mac, even if you have a built-in keyboard, like you would in a, a laptop or something, but especially for, Macs like an iMac or a Mac mini that don't have a keyboard, you can, uh, if you move the pointer, uh, the mouse pointer all the way up to the upper left corner of the screen, a keyboard, an on-screen keyboard appears. So you move it to the upper left corner, let it hang for a second and a keyboard appears. This is at the, at login, right? So not like once Mac OS is up, this doesn't happen, but at login, you move to the upper left and a keyboard appears so that you can type your password and get in and then maybe get to a point where you could uh, configure whatever keyboard it is that you've got connected. Maybe it's a Bluetooth keyboard and it's not, you know, doing its handshaking properly. Uh, so, yeah, I found that fascinating. I had no idea. I'd never tried that before, but he's right. It works. Perfect. I Perfect. know. Yeah. Pretty good. Did you know about that one, John? No. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's but I like knowing in the back of my mind that that's there. That's the beauty of the quick tips. So thank you for sharing that, Patrick. I think that's uh, I think that's a good one.
0: All right. And then uh, we have another one here from Elisha. I think I got that right. Um, I have a MyQ garage door opener and Ness. Locks connected through Homebridge, and every time I want to unlock the doors or open the garage, it requires me to unlock my phone before I can do it. But did you know that if you own an Apple Watch, you can just activate Siri from your watch, and voila, opens Sesame. No, didn't know that.
1: <laughs> I found so this is interesting. I I didn't. It's interesting. I have a MyQ garage door opener, John and i never thought about this difference where you know the 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 phone needs to actively be unlocked for that particular session whereas the watch doesn't uh, of course the watch is already unlocked on your wrist because you, you it well not automatically but when you put the watch on your wrist you either unlock it by type, by tapping your passcode or you unlock your phone and if you've got the two synced then now your watch is unlocked i went the other day to get gas for my car and our gas pumps around here, as of a few months ago, all have uh, NFC readers, so Apple Pay. And for whatever reason, I and I've said this on the show before, I almost always forget that my watch can do Apple Pay. And so uh, I did Apple Pay on my phone, which meant, of course, I had to type the password. But if you do Apple Pay on your watch, you don't. And the other day, yesterday, when I went to get gas, I remembered to use my watch. And so I put it on there. It not only... Did I not have to type my password because my watch was already unlocked? Uh, but it also didn't ask me for my zip code on the machine, which always happens when I use that same card from my phone. So now, obviously, I need to go back and test it with my phone uh, using the same card to see if they just changed their policy or if it truly is a difference between the watch and the phone. But um, but yeah, the watch, because it's always unlocked, it is your friend, especially if you've got a mask on because you can't uh you can't authenticate apple pay with your mask on using face id it, the only thing you can do now that we have ios 14.5 and later is unlock your phone with the face id mask watch combination but um but you, nothing else it won't unlock any other it won't authenticate you as face id with anything else. So you're still in that passcode mode. So if you have a watch, remember to use it. That's, that's my motto nowadays. So yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. I
0: use, um, <clears throat> I save a few pennies on gas, which uh, all sorts of things are happening out there. You heard about this uh, pipeline uh, attack,
1: right? I, I honestly, I didn't, I, I kind of stayed d- dug into tech news and stuff, but, but go on. So well, there was, say- a, uh,
0: there was a there was a an attack on a pipeline that I think runs from Jersey to uh, hmm. uh, Texas. Okay, so uh, I think that's why the gas went up a, a few cents. Got it. But I have something. It, it's a, a I guess you call it a fleet card. So it's magstripe. It doesn't have the uh, NFC or anything in, like that. But um, if you use it, it dips into your. Ch- it's called Gas Buddy. It's pretty cool. Okay, so save some uh, pennies. <laughs> Um, the station that I went to it offered me six cents off a gallon,
1: so oh, ah, all right, cool, that's nice, that's cool, yeah, 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 all right, well, if you've got links to that, put them in the show notes for us, uh, mm-hmm. at some point that'd be good, all right, sweet. what's next here, John um, maybe uh,
0: oh, hold on here. Uh, maybe a, a word from uh,
1: a word from our sponsor, Dave. No, let's do Chip. Let's do oh, Chip okay. first, and then and then, oh, and then we'll talk. Uh, yeah, then we'll talk about our sponsors. Yeah, no, that sounds great. That sounds great. All right, here's Chip.
2: Hi guys. I think. this is longtime listener Chip with a quick tip. I recently purchased some Air Tags and was unable to pair them with my Apple ID. Apple Support told me I needed a strong Wi-Fi signal, but I have a marvelous Eero system which is definitely has strong signal strength. I finally guessed that what she meant was fast rather than strong. It turned out that during the registration of the AirTag with your Apple ID, the AirTag has to upload some information to Apple's servers, and it doesn't wait a very long time to receive the information. My lousy AT&T DSL, which they will not upgrade, upload speed of about 250 kilobits per second is too slow, but if you turn off Wi-Fi and use cellular LTE, which for me has a speed of twenty two to thirty megabits per second, the registration process works just fine. My suggestion is that if you have lousy internet speeds, is to either to turn off Wi-Fi and use LTE at home, or visit a Starbucks or the library and use their Wi-Fi.
1: Interesting. Wow. What hmm. what is AirTags doing, John? Like why 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 do they need that upload speed? That's weird. Um huh me. I wonder um, I wonder if that's actually it like I I wonder if it's the the speed of the connection or is there something that AT&T DSL or his router or you know some firewall in the process there that's filtering out because it seems like what data would it be sending
0: I don't know I don't know yeah, I mean I mean, I don't think there's a lot of data. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, the serial number. And speaking of that, Dave, well, you know, I wonder what's happening. So if you go into Find My, uh, I found this by accident, so here's a little tip here. So if you go into Find My, you'll see the name of your AirTag, uh, its address or where it thinks it is, and then uh, it tells you the, uh, the battery level. If you tap on this area of the screen, Dave... It gives you the serial number of the AirTag and the firmware version, which I thought was kind of interesting. Oh, really? Interesting. Huh. What's weird, though, is that I think if you get a four pack, I think the serial number on all of them is the same. Because when I looked at the box, there was only one serial number
1: on it. Wait, so where do you tap? Explain this again to me. So I go to Um, items, right?
0: Yeah, go to items. Yeah, click on your, your air tag. Okay, or click on your uh, yeah. So click on you know whatever you called it. Right, it brings up a uh, you know a little window, um, and you'll see the name of it, where it is, and then now and and uh, battery level. Yes, tap on that.
1: What? Oh wow. Okay, interesting. So it's similar to like. How we used to get the serial number out of Mac OS or whatever. Wow, mm-hmm. that okay. So the firmware on mine, just for anybody playing along at home, is 1.0.225. So okay. You've got you said same here, is mm-hmm. that right? Sorry. Yeah, okay. Good. Huh. Interesting. All right. Well, while we're here on things that you can tap in the Find My App, John, tell us the other thing that we found this week.
0: Um oh, yeah. Let me um let me find this. Okay, there is. Um, we'll, we'll link to the article here. But I, I found this uh, in my Twitter feed. Um,
1: who had the article? I think Mac. Mac. Everybody had the article. It was. It was a Reddit user that that first published this. Uh, but. But yeah, the, the, about the hidden developer mode. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. So it's another thing. So if you tap on your AirTag name four times. Whoops. No, not there. Oh, if you go to find. Yeah, you gotta go right. to find so, mode, so if you go into correct. find, then you'll see the name of it on the top. If you tap that four times, you get a developer menu with all sorts of information. Device pitch, bearing, haptics, dots, the number of dots, you know, when it's it's doing the, the find thing. Uh, camera mode, and then a whole bunch of sliders with uh Greek letters and I don't know what most of I'm not sure what these, these stand for. So I guess I'll have to go to the developer site to find out. Yeah. Um, And then let's see proximity mode, interactive mode. Yeah. And there's a mode. So if you want to fiddle with your air tag.
1: And then to get out of that mode, the same four taps on the name of Mm -hmm. the air tag, get you out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love this is like, it's fun with air tags, right? All right. Uh, well, yeah, I would love to, and we got a bunch of questions from you. I would love next to talk about our first couple of sponsors, if that works for you, Mr. Braun. Yes. yes. All right. Our first sponsor here is Scosche Industries. We've been using Scotia's products for a very long time. In fact, they've been making these products since 1980. And building stuff that actually helps and is really creative stuff. Like, for example, we recently featured uh, in our Cool Stuff Found segment their Base Link's modular charging system, which is this customizable uh, modular system that organizes, charges, displays, and stores all of our portable electronic devices. So things like our iPhones, our Apple Watches, our AirPods, our iPads, our portable gaming systems even, all from one power source. And Baselink's Black is available on Scosche.com, and White is an exclusive colorway available at select Apple stores and at Apple.com. And if you visit Scosche.com and use the discount code MGG20, that's MGG20, because that's good for 20% off your purchase. And it's valid from now through May 23rd. And then you can also join the Scosche loyalty program for even more savings and deals. So you've got to visit Scosche.com. That's S-C-O-S-C-H-E.com. Go check it out. You're going to love what they have there. And our thanks to Scosche for sponsoring this episode. Next up is ladder. Well, if we've learned anything over the last year, it's that nothing is certain and predictability is out the window. And on that note, it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. The idea is why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? And if you're asking yourself this question, you can choose Ladder because Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get covered. You just need a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out instantly if you're approved. It's super fast. Like it, it takes me longer to tell you about it than it takes for you to do it. And since life insurance costs more as you age, well, now's the time. So check Ladder out today to see if you're instantly approved. Go to ladderlife.com/mgg. That's L A D D E R life.com/mgg. ladderlife.com/mgg and our thanks to Ladder for sponsoring this episode. All right. Uh, next up, we've got a question from Susan here, and uh, it, this, this one, I don't know where we're going to go with this, John. This is, uh, this is fascinating. So she says, um, I'm fully updated on Big Sur, and I'm running a 2019 iMac. Okay, great. Recently, I tried to download and install Hazel, which I haven't previously had on the computer, and I was unable to. To do it, I did some searching on uh, various forums and contacted even the Hazel developer, and none of the tips worked. My security and privacy settings are set to allow app store and identify developers. And when I click open anyway, it never gives me the option to open anyway, but circles back around to unable to open because it may be malicious software. This message is getting old Uh, and she shared with us a little video that showed all of the different ways she tried and every single one of them resulted in exactly what she described. She says, uh, in addition, I reached out to the developer, as I mentioned, and he has confirmed that this is a valid software package and that it is not corrupted. It seems to be an issue with my computer, but I have started and restarted it and I still cannot install the latest version Of these three programs. I don't know what else to try. Any suggestions. So um, this is interesting. The fact that it's happening on multiple apps. John tells me that it's something on her computer. So uh, going with that in the what would I do next. If I were there realm. um, I would run Onyx's maintenance on it. To see if that clears things up. There's obviously something holding it up. And hopefully running maintenance will clear those caches and push it out of the way. I would definitely reset the uh, launch services cache, uh, whatever Onyx calls that. Th- that's one I would for sure use, uh, you know, kind of let it do all of those things. The cur- the, the, well, the kernel extensions cache. I don't know if that's still there in Big Sur. I don't have Onyx up on my machine at the moment, but um, but I will pull it up. Uh, yeah, I, but definitely launch services because I think that's the one that's going to, that's going to get you there. Um, as I was digging into this, so let me look here. So launch services database uh, for sure. The XPC cache. Yeah. And I'd probably also make sure to clean the system cache. The rest you can certainly do. They're not going to hurt. But uh, but those are the two that I would I would do with Onyx. And, of course, Onyx is available for free. We'll put uh, we'll put a link to Onyx in the show notes, as it seems we often do. But um, if that doesn't work, there is something else you can do. Now, I haven't tried this on my system. Your mileage may vary. But I found an article, John, that talks about the SPCTL uh, utility Uh Uh, on macOS, and it's uh, available from the terminal and we'll put a link to the article so you don't need to remember all these commands but there are that's the utility that manages what apps are allowed to run it is the gatekeeper uh sort of it's the thing that lets you pull query and manipulate what's happening here in gatekeeper and john you probably already looked it up to tell me what it's what the name of this app is what's it um what what what's spctl stand for? Oh, uh, oh! I just assumed you were you were digging into the man page in the terminal while we talked. Sorry, How's was sec assessment system policy security. There you go. That's John F. Braun, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So what you there's a couple of commands you can do. You have to run them all with sudo. So it'd be sudo spctl and then the various commands. There's a dash dash list which uh, shows you the current rule sets. There is a reset default command that resets it to the defaults, which might be what it takes for your machine there, Susan. There is also a master dash disable and master dash enable command for this that uh, that do exactly what they sound like, too. So, you know, a quick test would be to do a master disable and then try and launch hazel see if it launches that'll at least tell you you're in the right ballpark here and then maybe doing a reset default Uh, you know these kinds of things can go haywire for sure uh backups are always good make sure you have a somewhat recent backup you know before you start mucking about with uh with these things but uh but yeah that's that's where i would go with it so yeah i don't know what do you think mr braun um
0: I remember fiddling with something like this a while ago and I'm going to list um uh, applications are um on the mac are signed in that a developer needs to get a certificate and then they sign their app and that allows the app to launch and if it doesn't think um and if it doesn't recognize the certificate, then it's not gonna launch the app. And sure. I have had this so, so uh, I'm just gonna list the article. There is a way to extract the certificate from an app. You may want to try it on one app and just make sure that there's nothing corrupt within the uh the app file. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Good point. Good point.
0: Yeah. I like Here. it. How to extract signing certificates from macOS
1: binary files? We'll uh all right. Cool. Put that in the show notes there, Excellent.
0: Yeah, um, I actually did this at one point and actually uh, uh, reported um, a developer that um, was distributing malware. Uh, I extracted their certificate and you know showed it to me, and I'm like, you know, I I got in touch with Apple and I said, yeah, this this guy is distributing malware with a certificate that you gave him, so they you know revoked it. Right, bad person.
1: So, yeah, so I guess if if something's uh, uh, running afoul with the way your Mac manages those certificates, that could also be causing this. Um, Yeah, yeah, fascinating. You know, if these now, you know, kind of thinking forward, if Onyx doesn't work and mucking about with SPCTL doesn't yield any meaningful results, uh, the next thing I would do is do, you know, what I like to call a maintenance reinstall of mac os where you just reinstall mac os on top of itself you're not wiping it clean you're not nuking mm-hmm. and paving you're just reinstalling mac os inside of your existing install of mac os uh, that too can replace some corrupted files especially if a certificate you know one of the master certificates is corrupted or or out of place or something it can you know solve weird things like this so hopefully amongst all of this somewhere you have a solution well, thanks for the question, Susan. Good stuff. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. That's where you send in your questions to us for us to answer. That's how it works.
0: Feedback at MacGeekab.com.
1: As Mr. Braun said, feedback at MacGeekab.com is where we get this done. All right. You want to take us to Jeremy, my friend? Jeremy. All
0: right. Jeremy, observe that in 866, you mentioned that you have a calendar reminder once a month or so to check that your backups are actually backing up. My question is, how do you check it? I use Carbon Carbon Copy Cloner, and I think I can see from the website the backups being performed, but I can't check if it's the perfect backup without downloading. If I do, I am not risking overwriting more recent data. I'm not sure how to do it on CCC at all again without running the risk of overwriting more current data. Um, I don't want to get caught. All right. Um, this is a good question because, um, yeah, you want to make sure that your backups are uh, are an accurate. Um, well, they are what you think they are, right? Like, is that they match what's on your drive? Yeah. Um, at that point in time. Um, the good news is that Carbon Copy Cloner. When you're defining a task, Dave, uh, there's a section that says, "While copying files, um, choose find and replace corrupted files." What that does is that it puts it in a file by file comparison mode uh, of the source versus the backup, uh, and if there's an issue, it's going to tell you. So CCC has has that functionality, which is nice. Mm. Nice. Um, Time Machine gets a more a bit more interesting. Um, and our friends at OWC actually have a little uh, little article that talks about the um, various ways you can verify time machine. Now, the one thing is that there is, uh, sometimes it does this on its own. You'll notice that it says verifying backup in the time machine menu. And it's like, who did that? It, every now and then it decides to do this. The thing is, that's kind of misleading because I don't think it's verifying uh, so much that it's, It's verifying, I think, the integrity of the structure of the backup.
1: Yeah, right. It's not doing a comparison, to my knowledge. Right. The thing is, if you look further
0: in this article, um, there is a checksum created uh, for uh, Time Machine introduced the checksum at some point. Um, but you got to do some magic on the at the terminal to see if what's on the disk matches what's on the backup so th- that is the way to verify the integrity of your time machine backup
1: yeah yeah kiwigram in the chatroom point at com points out that time machine and carbon copy cloner are res- the, their backups result in real files that you can simply see in the finder, if you mount the destinations of the backup. And so you could use quick look to spot check that the data that's there is there. Now it's just spot checking. So it's not, uh, you know, you know, like it's not, it's not perfect, but, um, but it's, you know, it's something there. So, um, yeah, I, I, this is what I do. Really what I do is, uh, I look to make sure there are no error messages in my backup logs. I look to make sure that time machine has actually backed up recently, you know, at least once in the last 24 hours, uh, same with carbon copy cloner. I I just look through the logs so that when I say that I schedule this monthly to make sure my backups are working, it's really just, it's a, are they functioning? Are they attempting to work and not failing that? That honestly was the biggest issue that I was having was especially with time machine, I simply wouldn't know when a backup failed. Uh, and so that monthly spot check helps me realize, oh, like this is pointing to a, a network volume that doesn't exist or that changed names or something, you know, that I need to remedy. And recently with Carbon Copy Cloner, my backups had been working, but something about the email notifications had gotten FUBAR. I, I forget what it was. It was, you know, I I, I probably had dumped, done something or, Maybe when I migrated over, it didn't pull a password with it or something. So I wasn't getting my daily email notifications that my clones had, had happened on this one machine. And so, you know, looking in, I I realized that because I see in the error logs, oh, it, like emails are failing to send. Like I need to fix that. So that it's that when I look at my backups monthly, that's what I'm looking at now. Of course, Jeremy has highlighted a hole in my process because I'm not looking at the 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 validity of those backups uh i'm simply trusting that at least one of them will be good and um and i probably need to start doing some quick quick look spot checking on perhaps new files or something like that just to make sure it's like oh yeah there there's the file that i think is there Um, so yeah yeah good point i um do you have have more on this john
0: um the other thing um Every now and then I'll check. So, um, time machine. If you click on the time machine menu, yeah, it'll show you the. Um, it'll show you the last when the last backup occurred.
1: Right. So, yeah, that's how I do it. I just look there, and it's like if I see it there, then I, I just trust it. Because one time I had a situation where
0: it had not. So I schedule it to do time machine at three in the morning every every morning. Um, so if I see that, but at one point um my machine lost its connection to the time machine drive uh-huh. and when i clicked on that menu it showed that it was done like a week ago and i'm like uh that's not right Bad. uh so i i remapped i think i i mapped the drive by ip address instead of a network name and that that seemed to fix things up
1: that did it yeah i had um i had a somewhat related issue about you know the integrity of the data that you think you have The other night, uh, you know, in the office, uh, I recently migrated from a 2014 iMac, so uh, OG Retina iMac, which was running fine, to an M1 Mac Mini that I got in trade for that domain. So, you know, that was a win. Great. Uh, And I ran GitHub the other night. Uh, I was on with Adam. We were doing some programming together and I ran GitHub to make sure that, you know, we were going to be in sync and doing all this stuff. And GitHub, as it sometimes does said hey so github is a version control system that tracks uh it lets multiple people collaborate on a uh, generally a programming project but it could be used for truly I- I any text-based stuff or actually even graphics and stuff right so uh but it occasionally when I launch it, it will tell me that the repository that I'm synced with, like that I've made some changes or I've deleted some local files or made some changes to local files or something that I know I haven't made. Um, And it can happen if there's like a date mismatch with something, if I touched a file, but didn't actually change it. And, and all I do is tell GitHub discard my local changes, you know, make, keep me in sync with the, with the cloud, the repo and the repository. And I'm totally good. So, um, I launched it and it said there were 68 files that I had removed locally. I'm like, whoa, okay. I know that I did not, but again, no harm, no foul, like whatever. So I told it, discard these changes. And I saw the number go down to somewhere in the forties, John. And then it went back up to 68. I'm like, "Mm, no, let's try that again. So I told it to do the same thing and saw the same thing happen. So now I opened up the folder and I looked in the folder and, you know, it, it the folder was reflecting what GitHub was saying. And so I said, no, OK, let's try it again. And I saw the files appear in the folder and disappear in the folder, John. Now, GitHub by default stores its repos in a GitHub folder inside your documents folder. And I did this, so I let it do that years ago when I started using GitHub. And then when I started using iCloud's documents and desktop syncing, that persisted. So my GitHub repos, my local copies of my GitHub repos were synced to all my Macs. At first, I thought this might be a problem, but it has worked flawlessly for years. In fact, it's great because when I go grab my laptop, I don't have to like slurp down the repo. It's already there because it's synced and it really, truly has worked fine. But it is synced to iCloud Drive. So I'm like, okay, wait a minute. So I looked at another Mac and that Mac had everything correct in it. I looked in iCloud.com into iCloud Drive and that had everything correct. So something about this Mac and honestly, something presumably that happened with migration assistant from my, uh, you know, my iMac to this Mac mini, both of which were running Big Sur did not go well with iCloud. I tried all the typical stuff, John. I put, a file into it on my Mac mini made sure that synced to everything. I deleted it from one of the other things, just trying to force it to decide, Hey, we should, you know, re authenticate with our, or or confirm our, our local copy with the cloud. But it was not doing this. Um, I turned off documents and desktop syncing, but left iCloud drive on, let that spin around for a little while, turned it back on, did not solve the problem. So I, turned off iCloud Drive in its entirety. That took, you know, 20 minutes for it to unravel itself. And then I turned it back on and it took another two or three hours for it to re-ravel itself because it had to slurp everything down. And since then it has been fine, but this is not like, why did thank goodness for GitHub, but if I had not run GitHub, I don't know what it would have taken for me to figure out that, iCloud Drive was only syncing some random subset of my data to this computer. The box for, you know, the um, optimized storage on this Mac, I do not have checked on that computer. It should be syncing everything down. But even on computers where I do have that box checked, like it brings down the file or at least a placeholder for the file. So the stuff is there, not on this one. So something about iCloud Drive migration assistant on this And I don't know that I ever would have spot checked this, John. And um, it was, it was disconcerting. Like we, you know, we rely on this stuff and I get that Apple doesn't like to tell us when there are errors with things because they don't like to worry our pretty little minds with such trivial things that they can solve for us. But this was not solving itself. In fact, it was, it was actively, you know, adamantly keeping itself broken. I don't, I don't know. Like, I never saw this with Dropbox or I don't see it with Synology Drive. I, you know, mm. yeah. And I get that syncing is hard. Like, like, of course, syncing is really hard, especially conflict resolution and all that stuff. It's hard, but there needs to be something and there's not. So spot check your iCloud drive too, folks. That's, um, that's the lesson I learned this week. And I'm not, again, I'm not sure the right way to do that. I, I think it really is just spot checking it. Although I guess you could, one way would be if you have two drive two Macs that are syncing your iCloud drive and both of them are set to uh not optimize the storage so download everything then you could look and compare the file sizes of those two folders but um but short of that i'm not sure what else to do i don't know what do you think john um <coughs> never used git okay <laughs> but do you use iCloud drive Yes. yes. And how do you know that all the data is synced properly to all your computers? Like, that's my question. Thank goodness I used Git. But Git wasn't the uh, problem. Git was the identifier.
0: Who? Hmm. There's someone that makes a couple of
1: iCloud tools. I'm it, trying to it's eclectic light is probably who you're thinking of. Howard Oakley over there. Um, and you're right. He makes Cirrus and Bailiff. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think that does some checking to make
0: sure that things are in order.
1: It does. I, yeah, interesting. I should have run that. That would have been the right thing to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I'll put a um, I'll put a link to both of those. Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. That would that would be the thing. I don't know, man. Just it's like i like to rely on this stuff. And then when it does something wonky like that, I mean, I'm sure it's been this way for, you know, whatever, three weeks. It's no bueno. All right. Um, moving on. Yeah. Yes. Moving on. Bob brings us a question here. Where is Bob? Uh, probably in with the bees. Bob says, I have a 2019 Intel iMac with a Fusion drive still running Catalina. It's been running daily backups via time machine to a dedicated drive connected to my local network through an airport extreme in bridge mode. Okay, so Ethernet possibly, uh, but Ethernet certainly to the airport extreme, Wi-Fi possibly to the, from the iMac. He says, uh, until a few days ago, backups ran smoothly. The, uh, the previous backup attempt of 4.81 gigs ran fine for the first 1, 1.28 gigs, then stopped. I waited about eight hours, stopped the backup, and restarted it. The current backup attempt is also 4.81 gigs, and it also paused at 1.28 gigs, but it restarted sometime last night. It has now been running for more than 36 hours and still has 500 megs remaining and an estimate of about six hours to finish it up. The estimate has not changed in the last four hours, nor has the amount remaining changed. Have any ideas about what the problem is, and should I abort this and start a fresh backup? I hate to say start all you know punt and start all over um uh, it, it it again you know the question is what is it trying to back up because if it's trying to back up you know thousands or tens of thousands of tiny little files that is the achilles heel to time machine's efficiency right it's just like it does not do well in in those scenarios in terms of speed for each file there is a lot of time it takes to open the file transfer the file, write the file, close the file, go to the next one. So if you got a big monster file, then it can just blast it. You know, something approaching full speed with lots of little files. It doesn't ever get close to full speed. There's all that overhead that happens and slows things down. So uh, looking at what it's backing up would be the key. And again, I point back to, uh, I'm glad you reminded us of (laughs) eclectic light, John, because he has some time machine utilities there too. Um, he's got, uh, T2 M2 is probably the one that, uh, that Howard makes it's a time machine mechanic, but, but he calls it T2 M2. So use that to take a look and see what, what it's backing up. If you can, that that's going to be your best bet at getting some data out of this. If that shows the, you know, tons and tons of small files, well then, you know, let it ride and see what happens you know, you might get to the end and then all is good. Or you might realize that this is never going to be an ending process, or maybe it ends and then the next one is the same kind of thing and it's going for days and days and days, but it's not these tens of thousands of tiny little files. Uh if that's the case, then punt and start over. I mean, there is e- time machine in in my world view, time machine is not something that I expect to a single backup to persist over years and years and years about once a year time machine, especially if you're doing time machine over a network direct attached time machine is fairly reliable in this regard, but network attached time machines generally get just foobar for a variety of reasons. Usually it's that the network connection stops in the midst of a write or something. And then time machine is just, you know, all fouled up. So, uh, The you know with with network time machine restarting once a year it's sort of a a fact of life for for me anyway here i don't i don't use it as you know oh i have years worth of my time machine archives all in one no it just doesn't it's not as it's not reliable enough so i don't know what do you think john you
0: know it's weird because on this machine dave that i recently upgraded to big Sur i got the um I got the dreaded, uh, yeah, your time machine backup is, is garbage. I'm going to have to make a new one for you. And I'm like, "Mm, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and with big Sur, especially if you are backing up to an APFS volume or backing up to Mm -hmm. a network volume, which it creates its own sparse bundle for you. Um, there is a benefit of starting a brand new time machine backup, uh, I think after 11.2, it might be 11.1, but certainly now, uh, if you start a new one, it will use the whole new APFS container, even on a network drive inside the sparse bundle. And that adds a ton of efficiencies to the whole process. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm wondering if that's why it, it was <laughs> making that suggestion. Could be. Yeah, totally. Cause I'm pretty sure it was a, um, it was in the old format until it, it redid it.
1: Right, that would make sense. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other observation I have is it's not clear to me if if this is being done wirelessly, but I find um, at least with my MacBook, if if I do the initial backup, I put it on a wired connection because it just happens a lot faster than over Wi-Fi.
1: That's really smart. Right, right, makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. You want to take us to Chris, John? Is it time? Yes. Um,
0: I'd like to call this one, Dave. No screenshot password for you. Aha, okay. Kind of like no soup for you.
1: Yes, (laughs) I get it. Yeah.
0: Uh, This is something I never heard of, but it's cool. So um, uh, he says, um, my wife asked me for my login credentials to one of my apps. I went to the password section in settings uh, on iOS Uh, Open the login in question to take a screenshot and send it to her over iMessage. I took the screenshot, sent it to her, and then she asked for the password. Um, Thinking it got cut off in the preview, I opened the screenshot and lo and behold, the password field is blank. I verified in settings that the password was in fact there, and it was. This is an interesting feature I'm guessing would keep someone from quickly airdropping or sending themselves a screenshot of your info and covering their tracks. In the end, I just long pressed the password and copied it and sent it separately. Um, just thought I would share that. And I had never heard of this, and I verified it, Dave. So, um, yeah, If you're uh, so I had a few entries, took a screenshot. And looked at the resulting graphic, and sure enough, they blank out the password. I'm not crazy about them looking over my shoulder, Dave. Yeah, well, they they know what's best for us, John. Um, now, I verified at first. I'm like, you know, I wonder if it OCR'd the image and saw the word password and figured, hey, I'll blank that out. So I did the same thing with my LastPass setup, and it didn't blank it out. So it's only... Apple's mechanism, uh, only if you, if you do a screenshot on that screen, I guess they got some code that says, you know, blank this section out. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, first mention. Uh, now, it's interesting he mentions airdrop because what happens, Dave, is if you go into that section and you hold down on the password um, for a moment or two, uh, it'll bring up two choices. Copy, which is uh, using, uh, I think they, they call it continuity. So you can do copy and paste between that machine and the another machine um, if they're near each other. Um, and the other option is AirDrop. Um, and that's actually uh, what Apple recommends. Uh, and I found a dandy little support article, share passwords securely with AirDrop on iPhone.
1: Ah, Interesting. Okay. So. Yeah. I always, I, I never tried the screenshot things, so I like had never run into this. I, I'm with you, though. I don't really like what Apple is trying to do there. Uh, let me make my own choices, please. Even, I mean, I guess if it wants to look over my shoulder telling me, hey, just so you know, you've got, you know, your password in the clear in this screenshot, like that would be okay. But, you know, again, Apple doesn't like to pester us with, with terrible little things. Um, the, uh, the, um, but what I usually do is I will just highlight the entry and hit command C. And even if I'm not displaying the password, it puts the password on my clipboard. So, I mean, it accomplishes the same thing as you like right clicking or long clicking and, and getting there. But, but yeah, command C will will pop it there, but I guess he was doing it directly from his iPhone. Is that right? It, yes okay all right yeah 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 okay so yeah i was thinking about doing it on my mac but yeah okay with with his iphone okay so you long press and then you can copy it all right i like it i like it that's good um in terms of screenshots john i have a little quick tip to share and then uh then we've got some cool stuff found to go through and some things like that um but uh we'll, and we'll talk about a couple more of our sponsors and things like that but um with Screenshots on my Mac. Something I started doing a while back, Mr. Braun, is uh, is I started um, syncing my screenshot folder. So I use screenshots by default save to, um, uh, you know, your – I guess your desktop folder, which I hated. I, and I guess they would sync there too, but I, I want to have them a little bit more compartmentalized. So I made a screenshots folder. Uh, For me, I made it in my synced Synology drive, but um, you could put it, you know, in a folder of your documents folder, you put it, whatever. And then the Onyx app uh, in the parameters section lets you choose where your screenshots go uh, and you can change it from desktop to a screenshots folder. And so now I, I just have screenshots galore in there and it's super handy if you bounce between multiple Macs To uh, to be able to have screenshots in, you know, took a screenshot over here, put it over there. Great. I wish I could do the same with screenshots from my phone, but I guess that handles it differently. It puts them in your photos library in a screenshots library. So I guess it's sort of doing the same thing in that you can get them everywhere. Um, So, yeah, I wonder why maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's a way to get the Mac screenshots to just appear in the photos library, too. Right. That would be, I mean, I guess I could hazel up a little rule to make that happen. So, you know, yeah, all right, but I kind of like them in a folder. So really what I want to do is the opposite. I want to have a rule that takes everything in my screenshots folder in photos and actually gets them out of photos and just puts them in a, uh, in a folder there on, on my sync drive. So I don't know a little quick tip. Any thoughts on that, John, before we move on? Nope. All right, then uh, if it's okay with you, we got some cool stuff found to share, but first I would like to talk about our next two sponsors. Okay. All right, BB Edit. What more is there to say? Well, we can say that BB Edit is up to version 13.5 now. We can also say that BB Edit, it fully embraces Big Sur and M1 Max. This is super important to me. In fact, we've been talking about this on the show. How important it is if you've got that m1 mac to make sure that you're running apps that are running natively on it well with bb edit you don't have to worry because just make sure you're up to date and boom it's running on your m1 mac natively bb edit's one of those apps that i know i talk about this all the time because i love it and i use it for such little things but it is so useful that's why I keep using it. If I want to compare two files, boom, BBEdit lets me do it. I can do it in the web interface. I can also trigger it from the command line. So if I'm doing stuff in the terminal, I can use the BBEdit, you know, the BB Diff command, and then boom, it shows me it in the in the GUI, you know, in the app. But I can trigger it from the terminal, which makes life super super easy. So you got to go check this out. And that's just one of the things that BBEdit can do. I mean, there's there's tons of them. You can count your words, and then of course. If you're doing any sort of programming, well, then it comes to life as a code editor and highlights your code and lets you twist functions. And it's uh, just go check it out. Right. Go to barebones.com. You can download your 30 day free trial. You get to check it all out after the 30 days. A lot of the features that I mentioned here, in fact, possibly all of them remain free. And then there's some others that, you know, if you want to, if you want those features, well, then that's what you pay for. But just go start by going to barebones.com, check it out, download it, play with it. You're going to love it. And our thanks to Barebones for sponsoring this episode. Next up is checkout.com at checkout.com slash MGG. Look, tech shouldn't stifle innovation. In fact, it should be the opposite. But traditional payment systems are heavily layered. They're disconnected and are often perceived as a cost center to our businesses, uh, in modern businesses, we need flexible payment systems that can help us adapt to change, to grow and scale fast. And that's where Checkout.com comes in, because Checkout.com is the leading cloud-based global payment solutions provider, and their platform is purpose-built with simplicity, scalability, and speed in mind. In fact, they've put out this white paper that I highly recommend you check out, uh, and it, in it, I was reading through it, and it said that, did you know most merchants spend more than 10% of their payments budgets on fixing disputes, fraud, and outages? This is crazy. Like that 10%? No, that's too much. You need to go with a solution that's going to help take that headache away. That's what businesses are supposed to do. It's why brands across the globe like Pizza Hut, TransferWise, Klarna, Revolut, and Samsung, all alltrustcheckout.com. And you can check it out, too because you can request a free no commitment demo at checkout.com/mgg that's checkout.com/mgg for a free demo checkout.com/mgg and our thanks to checkout.com for sponsoring this episode all right let's uh let's go let's do some cool stuff found rob has one and it's called tune my music he says uh, it's a website that takes playlists you've created on one streaming platform and moves them to your account in another. Uh, so if you were switching from, you know, Spotify to Apple Music or Tidal to whatever, uh, you can absolutely just take your playlist with you. Very cool, Rob. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the note. I, I there was a time when I would have liked this. Uh, I I I manually took care of it, but uh but this would be way better. So, yeah, that's good. Pretty good. All right. Uh, moving on. Yeah, John? Mm-hmm. Okay. Bruce brings us the next in a series of cool stuff found here. Bruce says, uh, he says, over the years, you've talked about troubleshooting apps with their P files, monitoring which files uh, within a given preference folder have changed. Brian Christensen, author of the app WhatRoot, has written another great utility called FileWatcher. It listens to the operating system event monitor and then reports changes to files on your system. You can view the event monitor log and see even a visualization of the file system as a tree structure. And what's really cool, John, so I dug into this and it does exactly what he describes, but you can filter it down, too. So you can put a little find filter in so that as you're, you know, as it's sort of showing you this stuff, you know, you probably don't want to see the entirety of the file system. You might want to narrow it down and it makes it super easy to just narrow down to files only matching a certain, you know, folder name or file name or what, you know, whatever you're looking for. It's very cool. I, I, yes, great troubleshooting utility. Did you check this one out, John? Not yet. <laughs> okay. You're going to love it. I I really think, I think so. All right. Uh, moving on, I guess, moving on to Bill. Bill uh, is going to help us with all that other space on our Mac. Bill says, I did some research because I had the missing disc space issue and I found uh, an app called blame bird. And he says uh, it's what bird bird is the process when you see bird running on your Mac, B I R D, uh, if you look in Activity Monitor, that is your iCloud Drive syncing service, or at least one of them. And uh, bird can awesome, aw- awesome, often be the cause of the other space that's being used on your Mac. And so this uh, this utility called Blame Bird helps diagnose what's going on there. It's uh, this one's pretty. Did you check this one out, John? No. Okay. Because it, well, blame, blame bird. It, it just goes through and, uh, and, and checks, you know, everything and shows you what files are being, um, uh, you know, what, what, what's chewing up all this space. And of course, most of the time it's bird. So there you go. <laughs> blame bird. So thanks, Bill. Good.
0: <laughs> yeah. May, uh, the man page says bird. I'm like, why do they call it bird documents in the cloud? okay that kind of makes sense
1: does it i mean i guess birds are in the clouds um, okay actually i don't think birds are in the clouds no no, no they are i so- mean it depends on how high the clouds are that day mm-hmm. i guess yeah. but it's a cool thing uh nonetheless and we appreciate you sending it along bill great um andrew has a cool stuff found for us and instead of me telling you about it andrew gets to tell you about it
3: Birds! And g'day, John, and g'day, Dave. This is Andrew in Bellingen, New South Wales, Australia. I have a very cool stuff found. I've been a user of Apple's email system since 2006. I'm talking about Mac.com, me.com, and iCloud.com. And I've been using server-based rules to uh, sort my email for all of that time. I'm really into rules. It helps with my productivity and workflow and makes my day a whole lot easier because I get a whole lot of email. One of the limitations of the Apple's email system was that you could only have 100 uh, server-based rules. I've just noticed recently they've lifted that restriction or lifted that cap and you can now go beyond 100. I don't know what you can go to but I've gone up to 140 different rules now and they're all working fine. So that's a great thing for my productivity, and I thought some of the other Mac Geek uh, Worldwide Universe listeners might find that handy as well. There you go, guys. Have a good day. Bye.
1: Thanks, Andrew. That's great. Yeah, I you know, server rules are one of those things that I think a lot of us overlook, John, and they are super handy, especially now that, you know, we're checking our mail not just on one Mac, right? And I realize when I say now, I mean you know, for about the past 10 years. But, uh, you know, checking on our phones and all that, you can't have mail rules happen on your phone, right? And so the server is the place. And iCloud's mail rules are are fairly robust. Uh, Gmail's mail rules are uh, extremely robust. Uh, you, you know, I've recently switched to fast mail. Fast mail's mail rules are, well, I would say even more robust than Gmail's because there's there's a programming language. Like you can... They make it easy, but if you want to really dig and and nitpick your rules, you actually have a scripting language that you can use to really go nuts and choose like where in the tree your rules fall and all that stuff. I, I haven't needed to go that far. I'm, I'm able to get all of the complex stuff that I need done just in their, in their GUI. Thank goodness. But, uh, but it is there if you need to use it. So yeah, don't forget about server-based mail rules. They can... They can really save you, especially if your Mac's not on, you know, I mean, you certainly could have one Mac sort of filtering everything and and taking care of that for your stuff. But if your Mac goes to sleep, well, or shuts down or mail isn't running, server-based rules happen even before uh, it gets to your inbox. So, yeah, it's good. Uh, more? Yeah, Thoughts that's something that? I'm I always mean to do, but never get around to it. <laughs> Migrating to server-based rules? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, mine are kind of server based. Well, they're they're synced through iCloud, I think, cuz I have the same rules on <clears throat> right on uh, both machines here. So, um
1: Yeah, that's not server based. You're right. I, I, yeah, they're, I understand they're synced, that. But yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. Yeah, no, server based rules, I once I migrated to them, I my life got way easier for uh for a variety of reasons. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's just that my uh, there's usually a machine on. So when I'm out and about, if mail comes in, it'll run the rule because the, that machine is on. So I'll sometimes see that reflected on my phone and that I'll see an email and all of a sudden it'll disappear. And I'm like, wait, where'd it go? Oh yeah. That's right. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's right. And now I know where to look. Yeah. 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 Server-based rules happen. Like, like mm-hmm. just, they, they happen before that you would ever see it, which is great. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Ah, uh, all right. Where are we here? Oh, yeah. Listener John says, uh, I'm responding to a question, a recent question about a good, easy to use and free network monitoring system. I think I tried every open source network monitor there is. And in the end, they were too much. Com- they were much too complex for my home network. Eventually, I found Rumble at Rumble run. It's a web hosted application that offers both free and paid subscriptions. It's easy to set up and only requires a small client to be installed on each LAN segment that you want to monitor. Monitor. I loaded the client on my iMac on my main LAN segment and also loaded it on a Raspberry Pi that I have on my IoT segment. Okay, so he's got his network in, in two segments. Uh, Rumble was started by HD Moore, so I trust it, he says. In fact, I've had a couple of questions actually answered by HD himself. Definitely worth a look. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got to dig into this. This is that's yeah okay i like that there's there's options here john this is good have you messed with rumble yet no okay yeah this that looks sounds interesting.
0: like yeah kind of thing desktopy
1: or yeah, more like thing boxy right because it's it's running yeah. full time on a mm-hmm. on a device so i wonder if you could run rumble on a synology Hmm. Right, because if you've got that, I mean, if you can run it on a uh, Raspberry Pi, you certainly could run it on a Synology. The question is, has somebody else done the work, or do we need to do the work? <laughs> so, yeah, very cool. All right, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, where are we here? Yeah, we've got uh, we've got time. Okay, yeah, we we can. Uh, do we have more on that, John? Or are we good to go to Patrick? Nope, that's good. Okay, cool. Uh, Patrick shares with us. We talked in the last episode about using uh, Google voice for your, you know, to, to rehome your landlines. And, uh, and Patrick says, uh, I did a similar thing with Google voice that you mentioned, but I set up Google voice with a very generic email address and gave the sign in credentials via one password to everyone in the family. This way they can use the home number to give it to a doctor's office or other place uh, and when they call Google voice transcribes the message and everybody gets a copy in their email, uh, it works well for these kinds of things. So, right. So you're not even Patrick's not even connecting Google voice to like the OB 200 device and having it ring in the house. They're just using it as sort of a, a voice, a, a family wide voicemail number. That's, which is interesting. I like, I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. That way you maintain the number, it, you know, you, you keep it under your your control, but, you're not messing with it and it's not costing you 20 bucks a month from your VoIP provider or whatever it is. I like it. It's good. Have you, uh, are you still paying someone for your, your VoIP line, John? Uh, Yeah. Okay. You can stop that. I mean, like, you know, we've talked about ways of stopping that. I didn't mean that as like a, mm-hmm. you should stop that. I meant it as a, it's possible. Yeah.
0: They're still charging me the introductory price that they did raise the price on my cable TV. I got to, call them again
1: it sounds like, like well with call. with fiber in your area it sounds like mm-hmm. it's time for a rejiggering or a yes. rebirth of of 21 21 is going to be a good year right mm-hmm. um it's a quote mr townsend okay uh the last cool stuff found john i have is us we are using melon today uh to stream the show well it's not us it's something that we're using uh last year last year no uh last week we used StreamYard. And this week we're trying out a service called melon. Uh, it lets us do video back and forth and, uh, and John, John's controlling the video, uh, as he did with Streamyard, yeah. And, uh, and he can do all kinds of things for the video. He, uh, he even, for those of you who don't know, I pre-record all the ad spots to make sure that, uh, that, that, you know, they're tight and they have what they need in them. And, uh, and so, um, uh, there John goes. plays the video that contains the ad audio. Of course, what's what's been weird and we need to contact Mel and support is uh, I don't get it's, I I hear the audio for the ads, but it doesn't come into like your channel, John, on my end. Yeah, it's bizarre. So the people on the live stream for just the audio don't get it. It's not in the audio recording. Of course, it will be by the time most of you hear this, because I will have put it in there. But that's extra work, and it shouldn't be happening this way. So we need to figure it out. But we'll figure it out. We'll get there. It's all good. It's an experiment. We get to try. And uh, and it's like half the price of, of what we were paying or what we would be paying with StreamYard. So um, it seems to work if we, as long as we can sort out this ad problem. And I already have some ideas about how to sort it out. But they should just be sending the audio through the same place that they're sending your audio. Like, it's weird to me that they aren't. I don't know. It's bizarre. Anyway, um yes, yeah, so that's us. Um before we go any thoughts well you're you're the one manning the the fort with Mellon. What do you think of it so far, John? I like both
0: tools in that I'm amazed that they're able to do it all through a a web page. Yes, to uh route the audio and stuff like that. So that's uh it's pretty clever.
1: Yeah. And I think your audio sounds great through this. Like we we had to do some some experimenting to get the balance right. Your audio level in general is very low. Um, So Mm -hmm. I had to make sure that what I was sending you was also equally low so that I wasn't any louder than you. And I had to tweak the ad spots so that they fit in the right audio level. But Mm -hmm. um, but that's I mean, that's not a typical of, you know, we're both using these these these. large diaphragm dynamic microphones, they, they, behave, they happen to be high LPR forties, but, um, uh, large diaphragm and dynamic microphones in general, rather just have low gain. I do things on this end to boost my gain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do some of those things. We could probably have you do more. Uh, but, um, but it's, it's fine. We just, you know, balance the levels. And I think, I think it's sounding good. So, um, yeah, Paul Franz in the, in the chat room, Suggests that I would need to use loopback uh, to um, to 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 grab the audio from the web stream. I'm actually doing that loopback is an app that creates virtual audio cables on the Mac. Um, Paul, I'm actually doing that. But what's weird is I have an output that I call co-host audio. Right. And and I route that into logic which is what I use as my mixer. And when John speaks, it shows up there because I tell the melon web app to send the output to CoHost audio. And, uh, but for whatever reason, when John plays a video that does not appear, that is not sent to CoHost audio. I think it's just sent to general system audio. So I would probably have to capture, all of the audio from this web browser and send that to cohost audio, which I don't really like because I'd rather get it as natively as possible. If that's the right word to use, but, um but you know, I might not get to choose. I, I feel like this is a bug though in the, in the melon app. Um, so, and we're using Chrome or I'm using Chrome on this end with it, which is what you're supposed to use. And the video is being played from within Mellon, so it's like coming from the cloud down. I get why they're treating it a little differently, but they should still send me the audio where they tell me they're going to send me the audio. So, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll get there. It's, you know, it's a process. It's fun. Um, Speaking of processes, John, we asked recently uh, to what we should do with this new tool that Apple is offering podcasters starting the end of this month, which is the subscription tool. As you know, we have our premium program at Mac slash premium. And when you sign up there, we know who you are and therefore you can use the premium at Mac email address and all of that stuff. And it's great. So we can offer lots of things beyond, uh, just, for example, a paywalled episode, which is something you'll notice we don't currently do. We used to. And you folks told us, stop that. We don't want the content behind a paywall. We just want to support you. And and so we altered the premium program to um, to account for that, obviously. And it works fairly well. But as many of you have pointed out and as we suspected, the pre- our premium program, as with anyone's, involves some friction. You have to come to our website. You have to sign up with an account on our website, and then you have to give your payment information to us via our website, and you have yet another account to manage. And I get that that is friction. And if you could support us directly via Apple, that's less friction because you probably already have a financial relationship with Apple, with your credit card or whatever payment method you want to use. And that means that there are some of you who have told us like, yeah, you know, I just I don't want to have to have a separate account, so I don't do the premium thing. But if you made it easy for me, I would do it. And so the question is, okay, fine. You know, yeah, we have to give Apple 30 percent, but they you know, that's the benefit of of leveraging the frictionless environment or the the lower friction environment they create. Great. So the question is, what should we do? Because once you sign up through Apple, we don't know who you are. We can't send you an email and say, Hey, thanks. The only thing that we can do is send you extra content. That's it. That's the only thing Apple's program lets us do. It could be the bonus content that doesn't exist at all. It could be content from which we, you know, the Apple uses the ad free example. I think that's the worst example in the world to use because as most of our premium listeners pointed out to us, If you're the one sending us money, you're probably also the one supporting our sponsors. We go through great lengths to make sure our sponsors are relevant to at least a section of the audience. You know, we use the same rule for the sponsors that we use for the questions in the in the the episode. The 20 percent rule if it applies to at least 20 percent of the audience. It fits. Um, So that doesn't really I mean, we could do that, but we're not going to because you've told us that that doesn't work. So we asked you for ideas, and we've had a few. Um, Barry, uh, who was our very first premium subscriber, he says he wants to be the first uh, Apple uh, subscription person. We can't control that. We won't even know if you are, Barry. But uh, you certainly can be the first email that we read. Uh, He says... uh, I'd love to He So he's one of the people that says, I'd love to hear an ad free version, but understood that that requires additional editing and all. But what I'd really like is the entire recording pre and post show. I know other podcasts do that. And having heard Mac Geekab via the live stream or in person, it's a nice benefit that I think would be worth paying for. Sign me up. And of course, he says, I want dibs on the first Apple subscription membership. So, yeah. So, OK, so we do have the audio from pre and post show. We record that every week. And we certainly could send that out. So that's one idea. Thank you, Barry. I like it. Uh, The next one comes from listener John, who says, uh, avoid the Apple podcast lock-in podcast should be free and available on all platforms. So he says by doing it with Apple, it locks out Android. So we would never, this content will always remain available as a traditional podcast available via RSS feed. And you could subscribe with any client And it's it's here. Right. So we don't plan on doing any lock in. Really, what we're looking to figure out is how to leverage what Apple is offering uh, without taking away from what we're currently doing. So no concerns there, John, but I I appreciate the email and and I wanted to address it because that that that, I, I share your concern there. Absolutely. Uh, and then finally, Doug says, I'm all for subscribing and paying for you for your podcast. I am not typically going to go to a site and donate, but I would gladly pay to listen. I also refuse to use a different app for listening. So the Wondery plus model is not something that even begins to interest me. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah, fair. All right, cool. Uh, so that's the three that we've gotten so far. And uh, please send us more if you have any ideas. We're, we're figuring this out. It will always evolve. Feedback at of course. What do you think, John? Any ideas? Uh, um,
0: uh, we got two votes in the uh, chat room for ice cream.
1: Well, excellent. Yeah, because it's super easy to send ice cream to people whose names and addresses we don't have. That's great. <laughs> but I like ice cream. I mean, ice cream would be good. Maybe, uh, maybe the next MacGear gathering we have, we will, uh, we will do ice cream. That sounds like, uh, sounds like a good one. But I like this pre and post idea because it is content that exists that most people don't get to hear. And we certainly could put it out there and it gives us, uh, gives us something. So it will evolve. So, yeah, all right. Another several votes for pre and post in the, in the chat room there. All right. Good. Good, good. Well, that's what I got for today, John. You got anything else? uh i gotta get on the road yeah we all gotta get on the road i know it's good it's good uh happy belated mother's day to all of the mothers out there we'll, we're recording this on the morning of mother's day here for us but releasing it of course on the day after so um so yeah yeah happy uh happy happy everybody it's good happy, happy mother's day to all the mothers out there um all right that's what we got thanks for listening by the way, we really appreciate it. It's um, it, you know, we talk a lot about different ways to support the show. Listening to the show is the primary one. It, this is it engaging with the show, sending in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. That's number two, you know, because those two, without those two things, the rest of it simply doesn't matter. And so truly thank you for listening and thank you for all your questions and tips and cool stuff found and all the stuff that you send into us. We really appreciate it. So Right. Just remember, don't ask Leon
0: about his mother. Never. Never. You, do I don't, you understand my
1: reference? I don't, but I like it anyway. <laughs> do you want to explain um, the reference or do you mm. want to let people write in? And- uh, Blade Runner. Ah, okay. It's been a while since I've seen Blade Runner. Okay.
0: The uh, one of the, um, yeah, he, he's interviewing one of the uh, replicants mm. and uh, that question doesn't get a good reaction. Got
1: it. Got it. All right. All right. Fair enough. Don't ask Leon about his mother. It's Mm -hmm. it's smart. So happy Mother's Day to everyone. Leon, you're excused. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that's what I got for today. (laughs) Thanks Thanks again, folks. Thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks for all our sponsors. You can visit MacGeekup.com slash sponsors to learn more. You can, uh, of course, check out the sponsors that we mentioned in this episode barebones.com, checkout.com slash mgg, uh, skosh, where coupon code mgg20 saves you 20%, and ladderlife.com slash mgg, where you can sign up real quick. I promise. We make it super easy. Whew. I think we might have made it, John. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Got any more words? Dave? Um, you know, I um, I miss, we talked about getting together for ice cream. I miss getting together. And I am reminded of the last time we were all able to get together and do this Mac E-cab thing in a room with many of you or a handful of you, more than a handful, several handfuls of you at, uh, at mm-hmm. Mac stock. And we all shared a sentiment that day. And I would like to end this episode sharing that same sentiment with a, uh, with the, the, um, I don't want to use the word hope because it's more of a plan, the plan to get together and do this again. Don't get caught. Made up. Yeah.